Perfect, perfect. Welcome everyone to the Tuesday Bible study. I'm so excited to have everyone here. We can start with the word of prayer. It's already 701. So we might as well start with the word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to come before you and to hear your word. We pray and we ask that you lead us and that you guide us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you usher us into your word. Open our eyes, open our ears, give us understanding. Help us to see things that we wouldn't ordinarily see. And lead us and guide us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Beautiful. Mm, Panache is here. Hi. Yo, guys, let me fix this. Beautiful. So we're continuing from where we left off last week. And if you remember correctly, we said the section that we're on on Psalms 119, Psalms 119 is in sections. I'm sure we've already established that. That is in sections, it's in different sections. And each section is more or less like a subheading. So the section we're at right now, the subheading is he. The It's spelled he, but it's pronounced he. And basically the psalmist, it's just a compilation of the some prayers that the psalmist did. But the prayers are more centered around it's more like the psalmist asking God. It's a plea for guidance in his life. So they're all causative. It's basically the psalmist literally asking God, make me, help me with this. It caused me to incline me towards. So they're very causative. It's like he's asking God to sort of reinforce his will and things like that. So last week we did the verse 34 and 30, verse 33 and 34. Where verse 33 was saying, teach me. And we reflected back and we dialed back to that study we did last year where we were talking about how God can teach you his word. Beautiful. And then verse 34, as almost was saying, give me understanding. And we already dealt with that. What does that mean? And we also dialed back because the, what I've noticed about this particular section of Psalms 19 is it's, it's more or less like a revision of things we've done. It's more or less the psalmist echoing sentiments that he has shared in previous verses. You see, because even the whole give me understanding, that's, it's in the previous section. He was talking as well about understanding. Give me understanding. Help me to understand. So it's more or less like, more like a revision. So we spoke about understanding. We spoke about the importance of understanding the word. That is the word that you understand that will change your life. The word that you just listen to and you go back to sit that you don't really understand, it more or less doesn't really benefit you much. But it's the word that you understand, that you're intentional about understanding that will change your life. Beautiful. So now we're going to verse 35. Verse 35 is a very interesting verse, actually. It reads, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And I love this because essentially the psalmist is asking for God's direction. Saying, direct me. But they're me in the path of your commands. The things that you have said, the things that you have spoken, that you say, you know what, a person should live like this. This is what the commandments of God have laid out. That's the path that the commandments of God have laid out. Now the psalmist is coming and he's saying, direct me in that particular path. Right? He's saying, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And we're going to take a pause here and we're just going to, you're going to ask yourself as an individual, how often do you ask for God's direction? How often, like, how often do you stop and you pause and you ask for God's direction? Oftentimes we want to choose, we want to take our own direction, right? Then when you get to a certain place, then you stop, we pause and you ask God to bless what we've already chosen without giving him the space for him to sort of 
give us opinion. Like, what do you think about this? Oftentimes, we want to choose by ourselves. And then we wait and say, ah, God, God, now come and bless the things that I've chosen. And more often than not, it doesn't end well. And we find ourselves in those situations where we're asking God, God, why? And like I always say, God is then asking you why as well. Robert, why? Why didn't you consult me before this? And more often than not, that's where we end up. So it's important. What I want us to take from this particular verse is primarily the psalmist is asking God for direction. Be a person that asks God for direction. Even on the things that are seemingly silly. Even on the things that are seemingly things that don't even matter. Especially even on the grand things, the nitty-gritty aspects of your life, your relationships, your friendships. Be a person who's willing to ask for God's opinion. Beautiful. And this actually it echoes this, it echoes the sentiments in one of my favorite verses, Psalm 73, verse 24, which reads, You guide me by your wise advice, and then you lead me to a position of honor. As long as you're a person who lives under the constant, if only we could only be people that live under the constant guidance of God, that every single decision we make, we make it a point to always run it by God. What does God say about this? Ask God's opinion on this. If only we were to live a life like that, where every single, oh, I see my friend has joined. Hi, Liberty. Nice to see you in the Bible study. Okay, so back to the word. Psalm 73 verse 24, basically the psalmist is saying, you guide me by your wise advice, and then you lead me to a position of honor. And what I want us to get from that is, try your best to be a person who allows God to guide you in both the big decisions and the small ones. Be a person who gives God the leeway to guide you. If only we lived lives that we give God that platform to guide us on every decision. I feel like we'd make less mistakes and we'd crash less. More often than not, we end up in positions where we are going through so much and we crash and we make a ton of mistakes because we don't take time to to hear the mind of God about things. Beautiful. So I love the KJV version of this, like Psalms 119 verse 35. The one we're doing, we're using is NIV. And the NIV says, direct me in the path of your commandments. But the KJV has a very interesting way that they put this verse. The KJV says, make me walk in the path of your commandments. I love it. I love that it's essentially saying, make me. If you're a person, you know that make me sounds like there's a bit of force there. He's saying, make me to walk in your commandments. I love that. He's saying, make me to walk in your commandments. And the psalmist knew that by myself, I may desire to live a certain life that pleases God. But to be able to, to actually do it to fruition, to be able to do it in a way that is beneficial, make me. He's, saying, he's asking God, make me walk the path of your commandments. And he understood that he needed the reinforcement from God. He needed the reinforcement from God. So I love how the, this version, the KJV says, make me walk in the path of your commandments. The psalmist knows, much less like you and me, the same way we know that we by ourselves, we cannot entirely follow the will of God or the path that God has set for our lives. Me and you, it, it's hard. It's hard. That's what the psalmist is saying, make me. He's saying, there are times where you have to make me, you have to sort of more or less force me to be able to, to live this life. So I love that. And it echoes the sentiments of that first that I shared with you guys in Philippians 2 verse 13. Let's read it again. 
that is talking about it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So that's important. God has to make us at some point. And the funny thing is, more often than not, when God makes us, it's not always going to be pleasant. It's not always going to be something that's pleasant. God is making me align with his word. It's sometimes it's even contrary because we know that as believers, there's a constant battle between your spirit and your flesh. Your flesh wants you to live one way and your spirit is literally going another way. So there's a constant battle. So when you do that prayer and you say, God, make me walk in your commandments, more or less you should expect there's a contradiction. And more or less you should expect that your flesh will fight because the things that are aligned to God's word are not things that are things that are helpful, things that are loved by the flesh. Yes. So, and it's also funny. Don't you find it funny how sometimes it's easier? Ah, Ange. Hi, Ange. It's nice to see you. Don't you find it funny how it's so easy to do the wrong things? Like we do it on a whim. Like we don't, sometimes we don't even have to think. And sometimes you find yourself and you're offside and you're doing something that's crazy without even thinking too much about it, right? But then when it comes to doing the right thing, doing the right thing needs in reinforcement. It needs you sort of subjecting your body to a place where you have to do it continuously. And I think that's fascinating. So the psalmist is saying, is asking God, make me walk high to me. Make me walk in the path of your commands or direct me in the path of your commands. So what I want us to take again from this particular, the first part of this verse, where the psalmist is saying, make me or direct me in the path of your, in the path of your commands. How do you know now that, suppose you do pray this prayer, right? Like the psalmist has done. How then do you know that God is answering that prayer and he's making you walk in the path of your commands? Of his commands. How do you know? How do you get to the place where you're like, you know what, I, I prayed and I asked God to make me walk in the path of your commands. Direct me in the path of your commands. How then do you know that the prayer is being answered? Right? And I have a few points that are very fascinating here. When you ask God to direct you in the path of his commands, sometimes his, his direction can be contrary to your direction or the things you want. So sometimes pay attention to the following things when you make such a prayer and you ask God to guide you in the path of his commands. Pay attention to these things. You ask, you pray, you ask God, I need you to direct me. I need you to guide me according to your word, according to your will for me. Once you pray that prayer, now, now you have to open your eyes because God can start to reveal things to you. What are the things that God can reveal to you when you ask for his guidance? He can reveal, reveal signs with regard to people and places. God can show you things about certain people. Like, for example, you can be in a situation where maybe you're with someone. And everything has been going well. And you ask for God's guidance in a particular situation. And then all of a sudden, the person starts acting up. Where is that coming from? It's coming from God. It's that direction. And it's God literally opening your eyes and exposing you to a broader opinion. So that's the thing. When we pray for God to direct us, and when we pray for God to direct us according to his word, and to direct us in general, we have to be mindful of the answer. This is a very necessary prayer because like we've already established, it's hard to keep the commandments and the way of God by ourselves of our own will because the flesh will always want will be more inclined towards something that's comfortable and something that doesn't have pressure and something that is relaxed right so it's hard and we need the reinforcement of the Holy Spirit so we're saying now fine you you do pray this prayer this is a necessary prayer once you've prayed it how then do you know that the place that I've arrived at right now is God answering that prayer. So we said we know because we see signs. 
Sometimes God gives you signs about people and places. Two, feelings. You can feel off about a certain person or certain things. Three, dreams. Four, something unpleasant. Right? Don't ignore the direction that you prayed for. That's the note I wrote here. But once you pray a prayer like this and you ask for God's direction, direct me in your paths, make me align your align with your paths, make me walk in your paths. Once you pray that prayer, don't ignore the answers that come after that. Even though they may, they may or may, may not be pleasant, right? So I feel like sometimes the reason why, hi beloved, I feel like in Dana, I feel like the reason why sometimes we have a hard time following the direction of God. Suppose we pray for God's direction, like the psalmist is saying. He's saying, direct me in the path of your word. He's saying, make me walk in the path of your commandments. And I feel like sometimes the reason why it's hard to be, God can direct you, but the reason why it's hard for us to be directed and for us to be made to walk in the path of God's commands is because the, of what I was talking about, the, the, the battle between, between the spirit and the flesh. More often than not, I think I've explained this in a previous session that you're a spirit, but you live in a flesh body. So whatever it is that you feed more is what is going to dominate your thoughts and your actions and the decisions you make. If you're a person that in, a, in the space of a day, you have literally done nothing to feed your spirit, you haven't read a single verse, you haven't prayed, you haven't communicated with God, you haven't done X, Y, Z, you haven't done anything to feed your spirit, it should not come as a surprise to you that sometimes when temptations come or when certain situations arise, you don't have the tenacity and the power to stand and to fight for yourself. You don't have the tenacity and the power to stand and to, to, to stand on your own two legs and be a person who is fighting and doing certain things for yourself because you have fed the flesh more than the spirit. Hi, Daniel. Because you have fed, you have fed the, the flesh more than the spirit. So at each and every point in your life, Always assess that as an individual, what am I feeding in this particular section of my life? If you feed the flesh more, if every single thing that you do, for example, in 24 hours, it's more or less feeding the flesh. We should not be surprised when you get to a situation and you're like, I don't have the strength to pray. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. Why? Because you predominantly you have fed your flesh more than your spirit. That's why I love this illustration that this pastor gave when he was explaining fasting. You know, I've always had like teachings on fasting, but nothing really stuck with me the way that the way he explained it. He was like, essentially what you're doing with fasting is you are starving your flesh and you're feeding your spirit. That's why when you're, when you're fasting, you have to read the word, you have to pray. Because if you're just fasting, you don't read the word and you don't pray, then you know, you're just not eating. But then when you fast now, you, you're starving your flesh and you're sort of empowering your spirit because you're feeding your spirit the word and your flesh your, your, your flesh is sort of subdued so that's why even when you pray sometimes you when you pray and you fast sometimes you get answers quickly why because your flesh is subdued and that's why sometimes we have a hard time like the psalmist is saying make me walk according to your commands direct me we have a hard time now being directed by god and walking in the commandments that he's sending us and walking in that path because our flesh overpowers our spirit because our flesh is not fed. I love that verse that talks about walk in the spirit so you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. More often than not, we are weak spiritually because we don't feed our spirits. So what I want us to take from this 
Psalms 119 verse 35. Direct me in the path of your commands, for therein I find delight. The KJV, make me walk in the path of your commands, for I find delight. What I wanted to take from this is one, it's causative. The psalmist is asking for reinforcement from God. Help make me, direct me, right? It's a very necessary prayer. As an individual, always pray for that. For God to help you in situations where you yourself, you know your will wants otherwise. But pray for God to help you that even when you get to a situation, you are able to follow the and to follow the direction of God. You're able to follow the leading of God. God is able to make you, make implies a bit of forcing, that God is able to make you walk in his commands. Why? Because you'll be aligned. Beautiful. So that's the first thing I want us to get, right? The second thing I want us to get is don't ignore the direction you've prayed for. Once you've prayed a prayer like this and you're asking God to direct you and to make you walk in the path, when God finally gets to a point where he answers that prayer and he shows you the path and he's trying to make you and he's trying to direct you, don't ignore the signs or the answers that come after that. Three, what I want us to take is in order to be able to fully comprehend or get a firm grasp of what God where God is leading us with regard to the direction and him making us walk in his path we have to be people that our spirits are fed more than the flesh it becomes easier to align with God's word when your spirit is fed through prayer through reading the word through listening to teachings when you constantly feed your spirit your spirit is more alert and you are in a better position to follow the leading of God because you can hear him clearly without your flesh clouding your judgment. Beautiful. So now we're going to the next section. Psalms 119 verse 36. I absolutely love this one because it is a very like fancy Bible word that I don't think it's used these days, but we're, we're going to get into it. Okay, so Psalms 119 verse 36 reads, incline my heart. Let's just pause this. Like we said, this section of Psalms 119, the prayers are causative. The psalmist is admitting in and of himself that, you know what, I cannot do these things. So that's why he's basically going to God and he's saying, make me, direct me, incline my heart. He's literally telling God, sort of like force me to do this because more or less I, 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 I have trouble doing this, right? So now we get to 36. Verse 36 is saying, incline my heart. He's saying, draw my heart, incline as well. How, how do you put incline in a way that is understandable? Incline, when I think of an inclination, I think of like leaning. So he's saying, incline my heart towards your testimony. It's basically, your testimony is basically saying towards your word. So he's saying, incline my heart towards your testimonies and not towards covetousness. Guys, is it covetousness or covetous? I think it's covetousness. That's the, first, that's the fancy word I was talking about. Okay. And I, for this particular verse, I want us to take it from different versions. The Amplified Classic reads, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. And then it puts in brackets, it sort of defines covetousness. And then it says, robbery, sensuality, and an unusual desire for riches. The New English translation reads, give me a desire for your laws rather than for wealth found unjustly. This is a beautiful verse because... We know in the journey of life, it's more or less a battle between your, your, your own selfish will and your selfish gain versus what God wants for you, right? Let me read what I wrote here. This is very fascinating. The battle, the battle between selfish gain and God's commandments is ongoing. 
And we need the help of God to know that some things that we pursue for selfish gain instead of God's ways are sort of short-term benefits and they bring us short-term gain and very often cost us in the long run. So what, again, let's go back to the word covetousness. What does the word covetousness mean? What does it mean? How do we define it? How do we explain it in a way that makes sense to us in a non-KJV way? So covetousness, basically from what I've understood, is it means greed, lust, an excessive desire for wealth and material positions, and a strong wish to have something that belongs to someone else. And we see so many examples in the Bible of people that were victims of covetousness, people that were victims of greed, lust, excessive desire, especially for wealth and material positions. We see so many examples. We see Judas. He's the classic example because he was able to sell Jesus' word for some coins, right? And we see Gazi. That's my favorite example of covetousness. And literally the heart of selfishness, Gazi, the servant in 2 Kings chapter 5. And then we see David. David is a fascinating example because from the definition that we're getting of covetousness, you can easily think that it's more inclined towards things. But then David is an interesting example because he shows us that that angle of covetousness that is more, more or less towards wanting something that belongs to someone else. So I think that's beautiful. So we're going to go, we're going to look at one example of covetousness and we're going to look at Gehazi. We're going to look at Gazi, and it's going to be our example of covetousness that you're going to look at. And because the story is very long, I'm just going to give a summary and then we're going to get to the exact part where Gazi is showing us or giving us a very colorful illustration of, of covetousness. So basically the backstory of this story is Gazi is, is like more or less like a servant to Elisha, right? So there's a man, and you know, this, if you know the story of Naaman, the man was, we had leprosy, but he was a high-ranking official in Syria, right? And then he heard that if you go to Israel, right, there is a man there who, can, who is able to pray for you and you can recover, right? So he goes to the king, to his king, because he's a high-ranking army official, and he goes to the king and he says, ah, you know what, um, my wife's maid servant told me that there's a man who's capable of healing me from leprosy so then he goes to the king and then the king now writes a letter to the king of israel and then he says you know what can you help this man to be to be healed and then the king of israel is distraught he's like why are you sending this man to me because he didn't specifically say send this man to your prophet no he, he sent the man to the king and the king is like why are you sending this person to me do i heal leprosy and then he was distraught and now word gets to elisha that the king is distraught because apparently someone is being sent to him to be healed of leprosy, blah, 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 blah. And eventually this man is directed to Elisha's place. This is actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible for a different reason, not for covetousness. So the this army, this high-ranking army official, he gets to Elisha's place and Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. He just sends out his servant and he says, you know what, go and wash yourself in this particular river and... He gives an instruction. He's like, go and wash yourself. And because this person had pride, this is like one of my favorite parts of the story. It's unrelated, but then he says, I'm not, this man was, he was like, he was very prideful for someone who had leprosy. So then the man is like, I'm not far, far. And I think it's the name of a river or something. And he gives like other rivers where he comes from. He's like, you're sending me to wash myself in a dirty river. I know cleaner rivers, right? 
But then the people around him eventually are like, no, 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 no. If he had told you something that's very complex to do, you would have done it. But he has given you something that's very simple to do. So just go and wash yourself. And then he goes and he washes himself. And the Bible says his skin was like that of a newborn baby. So now he comes back. And he's trying to sort of thank Elisha by giving him so many things, by giving him gifts and all that. Elisha's like, no, 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 no. It's all right. Thank you. You don't have to do that. So what he does now, this man is now traveling back to his country. And the servant of Elijah, now this is where we are. This is where we find our example of covetousness. We, the servant of Elijah, Gehazi, and he's sort of illustrating what covetousness basically means. Right, so Gehazi, the servant, this is 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, See, my master has paid this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his land, from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Verse 21. So Gehazi followed Naaman. So the, the servant of Elisha, he followed this man who was healed of leprosy. The man that the same Elijah said, I don't want to receive your gifts. I, you, you're fine. Go back home. So then he follows him. And this is what he does. Right. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me to say he's lying because he was not sent to do that. He's saying, my master has sent me to say they have just now come from come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophet. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, please accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing, and he laid them onto two of his servants, and they carried him before Gehazi, right? And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand, and he put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in, and he stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments and olive orchards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. So we're seeing in this example that, the example that we're giving of Gehazi, that he was, he's giving us an illustration of what covetousness is. He was basically very good and very selfish. This man was healed and he went into the presence of he went into the presence of Elisha. And Elisha was able to, uh, to minister healing to him by giving him, him an instruction that he followed, right? But even after he followed the instruction, this man tried to give an offering to Elisha. And he's like, you know what? Please take this offering. Take this offering. And the man was like, no. But then Gehazi went behind Elisha's back to try and solicit an offering from Naaman. And because of that, he got leprosy. Elijah said, you know what? The leprosy that he had now is coming on you because you did what you did. And what I want us to take from this example, especially with regard to covetousness, is always know that the devil is an unfair salesman. Basically, the devil is an unfair salesman because he will always sell you things from the angle of what you stand to gain. Let's look at this example of Gehazi, Right? The devil sold guys like, listen, if you go behind your master's back and you go to Naman and you solicit a gift, 
He doesn't even have to know because your master essentially is back there and you solicit the gift and you get it and you hide it and you take it for yourself, right? And that's what the devil does. The devil is a very dishonest salesman. He always shows you what you, what you stand to gain. What, what are you going to gain in this? But he very rarely and never, almost never, shows you the things that you're likely to lose. For example, we see in this example of Gazi, because he coveted after these things, this wealth that Naman was trying to give, not even to him, he had done nothing. Because he coveted after the things that he was trying to give, that Naman was trying to give to Elisha, the end result is he got leprosy. And even in each and every example that we see of the examples that I gave that of people that sort of give, give us an illustration of what covetousness is, each of these people, they, the devil did not show them the full picture. If I can give an example of Judas, right? He got the coins, he got the money, but in the long run, what he lost was greater than what he gained, right? We see the example of Gazi. Of course, he got a few changes in clothing, he got a few coins, but what he lost because of that covetousness, because of that greed, because of that excessive desire for wealth, because of that strong wish to have something that is not yours, which is covetousness, what he lost was greater than what he gained. We see even the example of David when he coveted Uriah's wife and he sort of wanted her for himself. The thing is, the devil didn't show him that that was going to be literally the beginning of a havoc in his lineage. And that was literally, he was opening a door that was going to be insanely hard to close. And that's what we see. What do I want us to get from this particular part with regard to what the psalmist is saying? Incline my heart towards your testimonies and not towards covetousness. That's a prayer you have to make as an individual. God, incline my heart towards your testimonies, towards your word, towards the things that please you. Instead of towards selfish gain, instead of, instead of towards greed, instead of so, towards so many things that the devil can show me the, the, the high side. Like, what are you going to gain? You're going to gain this, you're going to gain this. But like we said, the devil is a dishonest salesman. He doesn't show you what you stand to lose when you open your heart to covetousness, when you open your heart to greed, when you open your heart to sin. He doesn't show you the full picture of what you may stand to lose. And I love something that a certain man of God said. He said, greed, he said greed is weird. The same way you rear a baby, covetousness is it's reared. Like you, you literally raise it. It starts with small, small compromises. And then the next thing you know, it's a whole other thing. It's like the people that maybe the people that do fraudulent million dollar deals or people that defraud the government or people that do so many things. It doesn't start with a million dollars. It starts with a small thing that the devil doesn't let you, that he doesn't show you the other side that you're building a habit. This is a baby that you've just given birth to. And the more you do it, the more you reinforce that habit, the more you reinforce it and ultimately it becomes a part of who you are. It doesn't start with a million dollar deal. It starts with coveting the small things, things that you cannot keep in check, which is why we see the psalmist is praying and he's saying, incline my heart towards your testimonies and not towards covetousness. He understood that his heart had a natural inclination towards covetousness. Beautiful. So next week we continue from verse Psalms 119 verse 37. Thank you to everyone who joined. I'm seeing a lot of new people today. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining. We are just a bunch of um, people that love the word. Do tune in. If you can, you can read ahead and you can give your thoughts. It's not a solo Bible study. I love to hear what everyone else is thinking with regard to the verses. So you can read ahead. Next week we're doing verse 37 going forward. 
thank you to everyone for joining. If you're watching this broadcast and you have not given your life to Christ, I would love to lead you in that prayer. Just put your right hand on your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I accept that I am a sinner. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and you were raised from the dead. I accept you as Lord over my life. I pray that you lead me and guide me in this life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you enter into my heart and that you dwell in me and that you fill me and that you help me walk this new journey in Jesus' mighty name. Father, thank you for the session of the Bible study that we've had. We pray and we ask that even as we go throughout the rest of this week, we pray primarily that you make us walk according to your commands. We pray that you direct us. We also pray that you incline your heart, incline, incline our hearts towards your word and not towards covetousness. Help each and every person who has tuned into this Bible study. Holy Spirit, bring them to remembrance when they come into situations that require the application of this word. Give us the boldness to apply your word. Give us the boldness to stand in the face of adversity and in the face of temptation. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you to everyone for joining today. I hope to see you guys next week, same time, same place. Um, to those that love to read ahead, we will be doing a study on John the Baptist. So if you can read ahead, I would love that. So you can tune in and chime in. Thank you to everyone for joining. See you next week, same time, same place. Bye. Oh, my word. <sighs>